on today's show. So first off, I mean, you hit it on the head. I mean, when is the last time you said anything good about a networker? Oh man, no, I, I love that yeah. networker I met. Never, right? I mean, it's just, we have that stigma. And I believe that this goes back to the earliest days of business. You know, the idea of networking, I'm sure, was just like version 1.0 of Facebook in a way in today's parlance, right? It's this yeah. idea that it was this pure breed way of, of meeting people that made sense in intimate settings. Think like, you know, the old school lodge, right? Like that kind of like, you know, the raccoon lodge and the honeymooners type thing. Small yeah. intimate gatherings, you know, ways to connect. Then like every single platform, Facebook again included for today's uh, example, it got bastardized. It got messed up <laughs> yeah. by marketers yeah. and MLM yeah. people and all the gurus right. and ninjas who sell stuff uh, and the tech companies that want to get your attention and hack it so they give you more tools than ever to think you're actually uh, connected when, when frankly, you're less connected than ever before. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and somewhere in there, we forgot what it was to be human. Five. Four, four, three, two, one, one. Welcome to the Creator Institute podcast. Your host, Eric Custer. I think if you tried to play the six degrees of Scott Gerber, you could pretty much get to anyone in the entire world. Uh, Scott is an amazing person who's connected uh, pretty much to anyone in the startup, the innovation, the company world. He is someone that with one phone call can pretty much get you connected to anyone. And I'm thankful to, to have been able to get to know him and um, call him a friend. And what we get to do is talk to him kind of right in the midst of him launching a book. And he's using this book in a lot of ways to really transition from sort of one sort of experience into a new one, into a way that he's able to sort of take some of the early learnings in the startup space and, and grow and level up and become kind of a thought leader in an entirely different world. And what I think is important to understand is that even though someone has it figured out, even though someone seems to have all the answers, a tool like a creation event can really help us leverage that to move into something else. And that's what I loved about hearing Scott's story about how he sees this book as really a way to take all of the things he's learned for the past few years as someone who has interviewed people like Gary Vaynerchuk and Tim Ferriss and everyone in between and use this book as a way to sort of build on what's next. And that's really the part of the neat story about Scott and I think where he's headed. So the power of a creation event isn't something that's only limited to someone who's sort of early on starting out. It can be something that can help all of us at whatever point we are in our journey. Scott Gerber, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, man, we were just saying before we got on that it has been a long while since we hung out, um, probably four or five years since we were, we had, I remember we had a, a, a delicious Italian lunch, surprise, surprise, uh, up in New York City. So great to hang out with you today, man. Same here, man. Good, good to hear your, your, your beautiful voice again. The dulcet tones of Scott and Eric, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it is amazing. Yeah, man. So it's a it's sort of a, a crazy little uh, period of time, and and I think you're you're sort of in the midst of launching a book, which I think in a lot of ways is designed to really like sort of showcase. You know, if, if I had to describe you in one word, it would be like Uber networker. Like you're the guy who like you know knows everyone, connects with everyone. You're sort of like the consummate person who has their fingers on it, and uh, and then you go out and write a book that basically describes you. So what was it like, <laughs> kind of like putting together a book that has all these elements of stuff you've been doing for the last decade um, and put it out there for all to see. Totally. Well, I will change one part of your phrase to say instead of Uber networker, I would go with Uber connector. And Uber I don't connector. say that for semantics purposes, no, no, I'm no. Gonna say, because it makes sense given what we're talking about yep. today. Um, 
you know, my partner Ryan and I have, you know, for the better part of a decade been building these communities for, you know, global brands and media companies. Uh, and, and we've learned basically how best to go back to human. As funny as that sounds, uh, because with all the noise and the uh, stuff vying for our attention, uh, I believe that the idea of networking, networkers has gotten out of control and in the wrong direction, as does Ryan, um, where we've become this generation of, you know, amplifying market speak or a generation of networkers who are out for themselves, takers, transactional short-term thinkers that are not looking at the bigger picture of building long-term value. Yeah. And therefore they are shortchanging their careers uh, and their reputations because they're just doing the same old nonsense that we've been doing since the year of the flood. Mm-hmm. So I think that really, really what this book is about uh, is, is, is really resetting people away from that clickbait tips and tricks, you know, uh, kind of thinking that, 10 steps to being the perfect, you know, connected person, right? And instead, the same way that if you want to live a healthy lifestyle, you don't do NutraShakes, you go and rethink your entire lifestyle to eat healthier, work out regularly, and so forth. No different than how you go about relationship building. And so this is the framework and the mindset that we believe the best connectors in the world uh, utilize and what anyone can do to basically change themselves away from that icky networker type mentality and more into something that is a higher reward, higher value, better lifestyle type way of thinking around being a connector. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I am a total a-hole for starting out by using the, 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 the network. Strike one, three strikes in this interview gets really shorter. Yeah. Really, really bad. (laughs) Um, but, but I think, you know, there's something interesting about it because I do think you're, you're pushing on a point, which I hear this a lot. Like I hate networking. I hate it. Like I don't want to network. And there's this, this, you know, idea of like business cards and like, you know, handing business cards out and following up with email why does it feel like that way? Like, why does networking feel so icky um, in that way? And, yep. it, and how has that happened in your mind, especially in the internet age? Yep, absolutely. So, so first off, I mean, you hit it on the head. I mean, when is the last time you said anything good about a networker? Oh man, no, I, I love that yeah. networker I met. Never, right? I mean, it's just, we have that stigma. And I believe that this goes back to the earliest days of business. You know, the idea of networking, I'm sure, was just like version 1.0 of Facebook in a way in today's parlance, right? It's this idea that it was this pure breed way of of meeting people that made sense in intimate settings. Think like, you know, the old school lodge, right? Like that kind of like, you know, the raccoon lodge and the honeymooners type thing. Small intimate gatherings, you know, ways to connect. Then like every single platform, Facebook again included for today's uh, example, It got bastardized. It got messed up (laughs) by marketers and MLM people and all the gurus and ninjas who sell stuff uh, and the tech companies that want to get your attention and hack it. So they give you more tools than ever to think you're actually uh, connected when when frankly, you're less connected than ever before. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and somewhere in there, we forgot what it was to be human. (laughs) <laughs> and, I, and, nothing says, and nothing says it more than uh, this is a question, Eric, that I have loved, you know, as we've been doing the book tour, I am constantly asked this question, which only in today's society would this be any level of relevant question that you could ask someone, but it just goes to show how, how far away we've gotten uh, uh, based on the point I just made, which is, so Scott, how should we be acting in the real world versus the digital one? <laughs> and you're sort of saying like, Oh, yeah, that's good. So we should yeah. be acting differently right, one way right. than the other. Yeah. Like, how stupid is that? Yeah. You're, just, you're the same person. Yeah. Like, it's it's, it's yeah. insane. But that, that goes to the key point 
that I think we've only made, uh, we've only gotten less connected. It's only gotten noisier. Platforms are, no, you know, even more prolific now. And what's insane is even they, the Facebooks of the world, are realizing that those platforms have been destroyed. Look at what Zuckerberg did just a couple of months ago. Right. Hey, you know that brand messaging and brand speak that was destroying the unique and engaging conversations we built this platform on? Yeah, we got to get rid of that because, oh, oops, we, we made a mistake and forgot about the fact this is a human first platform. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, and, but that is what we're, we're happening, what's happening now. And now you're going to have this re-education because not just in the social media world, but in the traditional networking world, you know, there's this sort of idea that those that are the keys, uh, that hold the keys to the kingdom, that are the sort of big time connectors, they're losing the attention, uh, or rather they, they are not going and, 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 and utilizing these platforms or big experiences anymore because they've seen what, what they can do, which is to sort of build these sub uh, tier groups like behind the scenes, these more intimate gatherings and settings, and those individuals who will have the walled off access to the right social capital will be the winners when everybody else is still being reeducated on what it's like not to be, you know, spewing market crap all over the web. Yeah, yeah. It's so. First off, the first question that you said, like, how do I, how do I start to use digital media better? It's, it's. I think it's, it comes to the core of like we as humans aren't even taught how to engage in social settings very well either, right? So it's, it's this entire thing that I think you're you're hitting on is we just sort of have a, a crappy job and so we excuse it with giving people business cards. What what do you think of the business card then? Do you think that that is a, you know, is that going away? Is that something that sort of will, will you know, because I think, you know, you're of the mindset, it's, it seems that, and I've, you've been very gracious when I was like, hey, could you connect me with other people? You're really gracious about it. How do you sort of think about yourself as in the world where, um, you are online, offline persona is the same to sort of uh, be that connector. Yeah, I mean, you know, first to answer your business card question, you know, I think it speaks volumes if you don't need to give it to someone. Yeah, I don't have, you know, I don't have them, and I don't actually intend to intend to give them. I just say, hey, listen, like I'm easy to find is all my answer is. Yeah, I, you know, I think that you you, you basically are creating. I, I find that to be a very uh, it's built as a sales tool, right? That's yeah. the goal of it. Um, I don't remember the last time I even gave somebody a, a business card. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but I think that there's just this, this sort of like every other traditional social norm that's become like the standard. Um, it will have its day. I think when we have millennials and Gen Z truly taking over the vast majority of the entire workforce, I anticipate that that as an exercise will go away. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of, you know, h- how best to, you know, look at oneself uh, as a connector. You know, I believe that the best connectors are, are really a couple of things. First, they're incredibly emotionally intelligent. Yeah. They're individuals that uh, have a very keen understanding uh, of the world around them and the people around them. I believe they're highly empathetic. Yeah. Uh, they, they truly care about people um, because what I've learned is if you're a networker, you're less likely to care about people because why? Because if you're a networker, you're usually out for yourself with a personal gain uh, of a goal in mind. Therefore, by definition, you are not caring about the person that you're trying to personally gain from right. if you're transactionally oriented. It's common sense. Yeah. Um, I think that's the case. I think they're incredibly curious humans. I think that they really genuinely like to learn because they understand fundamentally that a a super connector or a connector is not just someone who knows a lot of people, but they're also information brokers. Hmm. Um, They're the people that understand the world and how to connect the dots at a much higher level because it's not just who they know, but what they know. And I think that's that's the key reason of how to understand how to connect those dots. Um, and, and frankly, I also genuinely think uh, that they're incredibly self-aware, not just of, of themselves, but how people perceive them. 
they actually know how the world looks at them. I think you know the perfect example is you know we've all met the type A arrogant son of a bitch who walks into a room, thinks he owns the place, and internally his self awareness is, man, I'm confident, right? But to everyone else, he's an asshole. Yeah, yeah, right. And so I think that we have a a whole slew of type A, especially extrovert individuals who don't fundamentally understand self awareness to the degree they need to in order to see true success in a relationship foundational sense. Um, so those are the kinds of things that I think you need to have for, you know, for, for being the right kind of person. And, you know, it's funny, there's a simple test, Eric, since I want to make sure this is also educational for your listeners. Yeah. Like, it's like, okay, well, that all sounds great, Scott. You know, you've laid out all these different things. How the hell do I assume if I am that kind of person or not? Simple test. I do this. I tell this to people all the time. <laughs> in the next five professional conversations you're in, doesn't matter who it's with, uh, or who introduced you so long as the people you are talking to, you've never met before that moment. This is a first time conversation. Yep. In the first 60 to 120 seconds of the conversation, I want you to be very, very keenly aware of which way your brain goes with one simple thing. In the first 60 to 120 seconds, does your brain go in the direction of, here's the next question I want to ask this person because I'm curious about it. Or... Does it go in the direction of this person is or is not interesting to my future career, valuable to my future career. So I need to either figure out how to get what I need or end this conversation. Yeah. yeah. Now it might not be those exact words, but you get my point. Yeah. Most people will lie publicly about the answers to those five meetings. But I ask you not to assume that you're a horrible human being if you're a networker. It's just that's the what you've learned. That's the way you've been brought up. That's how you've been taught. But to be keenly aware of it, to actually give yourself a moment to be self-aware to yourself, to know where you have to start from, hmm. I think is very important yeah. to see if you can have a connector mindset in the first place or how best to adapt into one to ensure your future success as a relationship builder. Yeah, that's interesting. And and you've, you know, if you think about your own game that you've been playing, right? You've been building this sort of master connections sets for, for years. What is it like? And I think, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to compare and contrast, right? The networker versus the, the Scott Gerber, because now you're out here tapping into those connections to help you. I mean, and, and I, in some ways your book launch has been a, a perfect illustration of that. You've been all over the place because of these connections that you've been giving, giving, giving and, and uh, the karma bank. How do you think about that? Do you ever, do you sort of uh, just expect when you're helpful that it will pay itself back in some way, but you don't expect to know how. No, no, actually, I, I, I'm, I do very much believe that habitual generosity pays off. Um, but think of it similar to like a venture capitalist, you know, just illustratively. Um, you know, when a, venture, when a venture capitalist puts money into something, right, they're banking that one out of 10 of the last investments they made is going to be the home run. You know, seven are probably going to fail. Two are going to maybe make their money back. One covers the portfolio plus the spread, right? You know, in theory, it's not that dissimilar from how you look at a population that you're building. If you've built yourself around amazing people, right, you don't know which ones are going to eventually be helpful to you or not, but you're building better odds of being successful when you ha when it comes time to need that audience to, to build upon asks and favors um, because you have been such a smart curator. And so, you know, my, my argument is this. I think that there is this fallacy that connectors should not be thinking about profit. I think that's a mistake. Notice that profit does not necessarily mean financial gain. Profit just means the idea of when the time comes, being able to make very smart asks of people um, in your circles that, that allows them to easily help you. Um, and so while they might or might not, the idea is, is that 
if you've done incredibly well by people, if you've shown your true intent, then people, of course, are going to want to be a uh, part of your journey and help you because that's the kind of person you are. You've surrounded yourself by amazing people. But it's not like, okay, John, remember that thing I did for you last year? Well, now <laughs> right. I need you to repay it this year. Yeah. And that's the networker yeah. approach. Yeah. I've seen people that literally have emailed me over the years um, that have said something to that degree or at least hinted at it. It's yeah, like, hey, man, remember lie. that time yeah. X, Y, Z, right? And it's like, that's kind of crappy. I mean, that's yeah. not, uh, you know, I, I was going to help you, but now it's like, that's just like, ew. Like, um, right. but, but I think that, that profiting is not a bad thing so long as you do it with the idea of being long-term, mindful, meaningful, mm-hmm. and, and frankly, respectful. Um, I, yeah. I don't think that, that we have to be in this moment where, John, I met you at this event, this is your value. Let me go tack on that value now. Hmm. Um, and that's where I see the differentiation. I think people want to help you and you just need to make the smart ask versus people that are being asked to help you uh, and simply put would prefer not to. That's really the difference between the networker and the connector. Yeah. And I think your, your point about the generosity, I, I'm a big, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I know you're a fan of Adam Grant too, uh, yep. but, but I think Adam Grant's concept about generosity really does play into the connector piece is that if you are transactional about every relationship, you will never win. Um, you have to think of it in that way of where, listen, I don't know what this is going to pay off. I call it like plant your 10 seeds. One's going to grow and pay off 20 X, you know, whatever that sort of thing is. And, um, and I think that's the exact right, right way. How do you then, you know, how do you, how do you translate that? Cause I'm sure people will be listening and say like, oh gosh, you know, Eric and Scott have been doing this for a while. Like they've got networks. How do people start by, or, you know, have those connections of people? How do you start that then? How do you get the first yep. do it? Because there is this sense of like, I don't even know how to engage with people unless I have an ask. So how, how did you find that as a way to keep uh, these communities being built in and active when um, that you can tap into sort of when you do need to make that ask? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to shed some wisdom that I wish I had learned at an earlier age or rather at least you wisdom, (laughs) at least, at least I would have listened. So my, one of my dearest mentors, she's in the book. We talk about in the epilogue, the biggest lesson that I never listened to until I understood it, um, which is, you know, she was a power broker, somebody that worked for some of the biggest names consulted or, uh, were sort of like a behind the scenes power broker for them. And I said, Holly, you've worked for all these amazing people and they've built these insane careers over you know, decades. My question is, how do I shorten that? How do I do it in five mm. years? And she said something so profound that I eventually added something to. Um, and her profound words were, real relationships take real time and you can't cheat real time. <laughs> I've since gone on to add, you can cheat your time, but not relationship time. Because I believe that the best connectors know how to be productivity hackers. And that's the only thing they're allowed to hack, uh, which is their own time in order to make more meaningful time for other activities, right? So, so, but, but I did not fully understand how profound and simple that concept was because, you know, even today, there's not a day that goes by where I'm on social media where I don't hear some fucking person saying, oh, I'm going to growth hack this. I'm going to convert yeah. that. I'm going to, yeah. you know, we become marketing speakers instead of humans. Like, but that's the whole point. So, it's this idea to go back to what you're asking, Eric, that you first have to have a smart premise. And the premise is if you go into this thinking, you're going to go and build the right 10 relationships tomorrow. And that's going to go and translate in 10 weeks, 10 months, you know, year and a half from now, you're, you're starting on the wrong footing. 
right? Mm-hmm. I didn't go into, you know, building relationships to think one day, man, when I write a book or, oh, when I start a company or, <laughs> oh, when I need to raise money, right. I'm going to have these people. In fact, if you recall, and you were there at the earliest stages, the reason why you see yeah. took off is because I, I and, and my fellow entrepreneurs, you included in that mix in the earliest stages, um, believed deeply in a common theme, yeah. which was that youth entrepreneurship was a means of a viable career path to those that needed to have a way to keep a job to you know, create a job to keep a job. We had yeah. started this in 2009 and 10 when the economy was in the tanks, 51% youth unemployment, uh, jo- recent un- uh, underemployment, be- uh, college grad underemployment being incredibly high. And we banded together around that. And then only after banding around a common theme that mattered, it was the idea of, well, oh, well, now these stewards of youth entrepreneurship also want to connect. But they initially were bound by an idea that they all believed in and then took that to the next logical step of, oh, well, if this person believes deeply in this idea, well, then they must also be someone I want to talk to if there's other common interests. The, the barrier was broken. The friction was removed from building upon a better relationship after the fact, right? So mm-hmm. my, 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 my advice on setting up your own framework is first and foremost, you know, what do you stand for? Who are you? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You know, I think people try to build networks with everyone and everything instead of yeah. uh, really determining who should be in your inner circle. Who right. are the people right. that make you better? Mm-hmm. Um, who is your average five, you know, and this is an old saying, you know, you're the average of the five people around you. So, you know, who, what is that? Who are those people? And so, you know, I think most people, if they put more time and effort into methodically thinking about that, not from a perspective of being an elitist or overly exclusive, but put criteria on what do they want to be about? What do they want to be surrounded by? What do they want to be inspired by to be able to be the best selves? Mm-hmm. And that then helps you to figure out, okay, well, maybe in order to find the right initial people, I say that I want to be, you know, in circles of, you know, really smart robotics people making this up. Okay. Well, maybe then you want to start looking at meetup groups for robotics professionals and get very, very close to the hosts or the uh, organizer of those experiences, be engaged with that individual and engage with the community so that you can ultimately find your own anchor or super connector that as you engage deeper and build a more meaningful relationship, that individual is going to be able to help you navigate who in the larger community are people that you can then create your own oasis, your own spot, your own group from to over time, be able to start take a little folks from few folks from that group, maybe a few groups, uh, folks from an MIT meetup you're in, whatever it is, but now you're curating others that you have sort of spot checked from other areas. So, but this is how it begins, right? People are already engaged in various communities. They might not be the exact community you want, but by being able to be someone who can spot amazing people in your own definition criteria and lens, you're able to then create your own sort of circles that eventually then grow externally uh, and exponentially because of the initial 5, 10, 15 people that you really go deep with. Yeah. So how would someone, so, you know, now you, you've been, you look back, you know, you're, you're in this game for a decade and a half now. How would, how would the Scott Gerber from 15 years ago, what would he need to do in order to get you, you know, in his circle or you, you know, you to be part of his circle? Cause you're, you know, obviously now you have these opportunities to open doors for other people. What is the thing that he, that you would tell him to say, Hey, Scott, if you want to get the Scott of today to be a part of your circle, what does he need to do? It's not about me. It's mm-hmm. about building, making my, my team's life easier. We talk in the book about the idea of the power, <coughs> the, the pyramid of influence, I'm sorry. 
And the idea is, is that everybody wants to go for the Richard Branson, yeah. right? I want to talk to Richard Branson. He can make my life different, whatever. But they don't realize that the Richard Branson, I'm using him obviously metaphorically here. Um, the Richard Branson will probably never connect with you. Yeah. The yeah. Richard Branson will probably never even understand what you're working on, nor would he even be the right person to fundamentally change outcomes, lives, yeah. relationships, none of it. But he's got about 50 or 100 people that influence his decisions mm. that are the actual people. That's interesting. And those 50 to 100 people have another 50 to 100 people that take care of them and make their lives easier. Huh. And so we talk in the book about this idea of Keith Ferrazzi, and he wanted to meet Hillary Clinton. And rather than waiting in a uh, one of those lines, reception lines, you know, and shaking the hand, being, you know, totally just another one of the sheep, um, he decided to, you know, build a deep relationship with one of HRC's um, uh, executive assistants. Hmm. And over years and years of constantly trying to be of service whenever she would come to town, uh, you know, wanting to, you know, make sure they had top accommodations, wanting to make sure that if they needed to meet anybody uh, that, you know, that that group wasn't connected to, he would facilitate it. You know, eventually, not only did he get to meet her, but the executive assistant put in the word of who this guy was, how he was helpful, mm. and put that context in place before Hillary met Keith Ferrazzi. That then turned into a direct invitation from Hillary to the White House. Mm. So it's, it's this story of just being smarter around understanding the real world versus what the blogosphere would have you believe that there's this perfect five sentence email you can write to the mentor of your dreams, and they're going to stop everything they're doing and do your thing. And so I would say... It's not about connecting with, again, the present day Scott Gerber. It's about connecting yeah. with the 10 people that make my life exponentially better. Because guess mm. what? If one of those people that you spent time or done things for or been a meaningful contributor to their lives comes to me and says, there's someone you should meet. There's yeah. this person that I think could be valuable. There is no chance on earth I would not <laughs> right. take it more seriously yeah. than you just direct emailing me and, and saying, hey, love to get coffee sometime. Yeah. Yeah, that's an, that's a big insight. And I think a lot of people don't recognize that we all have those people that are sort of really critical and helpful to us. Everyone does, um, all the way from Richard Branson down to even someone, you know, who's, who's early in their career and, and at recognizing that, that concept of, of high EQ, high emotional intelligence, high, um, empathy really does play on that. I like it. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you an easy one just for, you know, anybody could do this, literally anybody. I believe there are, there are two kinds of professionals that are purposefully very out there. That being said, buyer beware, research required, <laughs> make sure you're meeting, make sure you're ultimately meeting the right kinds of these professionals, but lawyers and accountants, mm -hmm. yeah. okay? It just sounds like the two kinds of people that most entrepreneurs or business owners would prefer never to connect with in the million years yep. because it sounds so like, oh God, just another yeah. lawyer, another accountant. Just, well, here's the deal. They'll be hourly, right. Yep. If you are connected to the right people in those worlds, they are connected to the right people in every aspect of the word. And so when you're first starting out, especially I say this to students or recent college grads looking to potentially either build a business or uh, think about uh, some sort of freelance opportunity or venture of some kind, you know, these are the kinds of professionals that are always out there looking to build relationships because they just never know who's going to be, you know, the home run hitter one day that hopefully one day they build a professional relationship with. And so they give, they're more giving of their time more times than not to what I'll call up and comers with really smart ideas. It doesn't mean just general, like, Hey, come to coffee. I don't know what I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. You want to come with a, an agenda and real solid questions, but these are the people that set up the, the value add uh, lifestyles and the smart lifestyles of some of these, you know, very powerful people. Right. And right. so 
by, by, you know, whether it's a township accountant, another, another one, a good example would be like the, the facilitator of, you know, whether it's a chamber of commerce or, or some sort of um, professional organization in your local town uh, is another example. Like not every connector is a connector of the world. Some connectors are great connectors of just your local area. We talk in the book about an accountant from Homestead, Florida, who's got better name ID than the mayor. Hmm. <laughs> and there's a reason for it because he has methodically over a 30 year career, you know, basically made sure that people in the town are well taken care of because he wanted to set down roots. And his goal as a, of a connector was to be a positive member uh, of the community, not to go and make money and, and live the rich lifestyle, but to be, you know, someone who set roots in this town. But as a result, he knows the first generation, the second generation, and the third generation of every family business owner in town, of all of the people that are in politics, of all of the people that have generational wealth. And he has been a bridge to many of these various areas because his name is always seen as the, the gold standard and the center of influence of that mm -hmm. town. And so if he's making that intro, if he's opening that door, if he's giving that advice, it is taken incredibly wow. seriously. Yeah. That is the kind of thing you can do too in any area you're in. It doesn't always have to be the international rock star or the globe trotter. Sometimes it could be somebody who's just as simply put in your local environment that is the key connector there. And then the next steps years later could be a connector that takes it from local to regional or regional to industry wide or whatever the case mm. may be. Yeah, that's a big insight. I think it's, uh, it is interesting. I think just how you're laying out the super connectors may not necessarily be the people you sort of assume them to be. You know, the sort of fame doesn't always necessarily mean they're super connector and and oftentimes you sort of need to realize who actually does have to hold the power um that's a big a big insight for sure um so i one of the things i thought was interesting is you know you wrote a book uh, before this book and um and i you know i love my, one of my favorite things about it is like the first first line that is a quote that you ascribed uh, your mom scott when are you gonna get a real job uh <laughs> she says you said that she'd ask you for the millionth time so that book was about this sort of premise of uh you know is there a way to not to never get a real job and you you know now you're looking out uh, you know a few years after the fact I always wonder, wonder, I always think that there's, when someone writes another book, they're sort of answering some of the questions they didn't answer in that first book or things they've learned. What is the sort of, what would you redo in that book that you're sort of now, now answering those questions in the new book um, mm -hmm. about it? What are the things that have changed in your knowledge about um, that book itself? Yeah, I, I, a fantastic question. And, and I'm always appreciative of first time questions that I've not been asked yes, before. So win. kudos, thank you. <laughs> um, I, I think the reality is for me, that I didn't, I, you know, Never Get a Real Job had a very specific audience in mind, right? It was meant specifically for college students and recent college grads who were looking at the barrel of a gun <laughs> and optionally had not many uh, choices other than what they've been told the choices were and those choices had failed them because they bought hook, line, and sinker into a narrative uh, that was, you know, sort of uh, pushed on them by people that never had to live in the times that we were talking about with the levels of globalization, automation, and recession simultaneously coming down uh, on a generation of individuals. And so I think in the book, what I had talked about is diagnosing my biggest failure at the time when I was a college student that nearly bankrupted me to then allow me to stand back up and be able to build my next business. But I didn't put enough stock in what I'll call the bigger picture versus the individual failing. So what I mean by that is I talked a lot about financial mismanagement, decisions by egotism, um, you know, things that I believed led to collectively the downfall. But what I didn't talk about, what I think looking back, I would have 100% uh, 
written almost an entire probably chapter, if not re- reframed the book around the core idea of this is my real failure was not maybe that I was just an idiot from an egotism perspective or that I spent too much money uh, or I made poor business decisions when it came to partnerships. It's I never surrounded myself in the bigger theme with the right people mm-hmm. to tell me those were the wrong decisions. Yeah. And so I think the real thing that failed me was my inability to build a smart inner circle. Mm of people that in good times or bad had my back um, that would tell me, you know, the God's honest truth about what I did or did not understand when I was acting irrationally, irrationally, if they agreed or disagreed with me and why none of those conversations were had at those early stages. And I would argue that, you know, look, that was the path that ultimately probably served me best because, because I didn't get the good answers. I had to go through a failure at a young age when back then it sounds sounds kind of cataclysmic. The reality is, look, I I bounced back. I did it at an age where I didn't have the responsibilities like I have now with four kids, a wife, a dog, and a three-bedroom in Battery (laughs) Park, New York, right? Very, very different situation. Um, But but the key insight I think that I missed um, is why all these things happened. Mm. And I think in looking now at this book, the idea is very clear. The only currency that matters is social capital. Mm. Yeah, it's a big insight. It's the only currency that matters now. It's the only currency that will matter right before you die. Because I'd like to say that money's not showing up to your funeral. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, it's the kind of thing where there is no amount of money, no amount of success that guarantees someone's going to pick up the phone. Right, right. But deep understanding of someone, a lifetime of friendship and trust with someone, a lifetime of being there without anything uh, – that was meant to be given in return that uh, that expectations were set around the framework of the relationship. That is the true test of why we are human and what humans we actually know and love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we miss that point. Mm-hmm. And I think as a result of missing that point, we start looking at the things that like I was talking about in the first book, like the symptoms rather than the cause. Right. That's right. Um, that's a good, that's a, you know, and, and again, not to say that that book is not a good book or that I didn't, no. but, but I think that I, I might have missed a bigger narrative that I think we have corrected with super character. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right. I think there's a couple big insights that you just hit on that I wanted to highlight. I think the first one is the concept that, uh, especially early on, the people you're gathering, you do want them for both their advice and sometimes their network access. So I think it's one of the things that I oftentimes see missing is that people don't have coaching early on in their career. And so how, how have you rectified that a little bit, like in terms of finding those sort of folks that can, uh, you know, kick you and punch you when you need it and also hug you when you need it too? How, how do you see yourself being coached to be a better entrepreneur? Because it's been interesting to, you know, we've known each other for a while now and seeing um, it's been fun to see you sort of take what you started in these sort of early things and almost uh, basically replicate it at a bigger, bigger volume, bigger scale. So mm-hmm. how have you done that? Like, what's your sort of this circle of advisors you've created now? Yeah, I mean, I have surrounded myself with everything from family, which is obviously, I think, the humbling of any man or woman. Yep. Um, you know, I, I challenge anyone that thinks they've got a big ego to go home and know you're changing diapers. Um, exactly you know but it's the it's the most reassuring feeling to know that your children will love you unconditionally forever but it's your job for them to respect uh and appreciate the things that they the access they have the abilities they have um but at the more you know grow them up into uh, fantastic human beings but one day have them recognize and be proud and understand why they can be proud of you um Mm -hmm. so that's Mm -hmm. one thing that i look at Another is I usually look for diametrically opposed 
uh, views of people and mm-hmm. diametrically opposed, in my world at least, uh, entrepreneurial endeavors. I think what happens when people surround themselves by um, people just in their industry, as an example, you get tunnel vision. And so, for example, I have one guy in my network, you know, that is like brother, we know everything about one another kind of thing. But if you were to put him and stack him against me financially or from a, I don't know, something as meaningless as headcount in a company or past exits, I mean, this guy runs you know, circles around me 50 times over. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas the other person that I would no, trust you most. handsome as you. I'm not going to let that say that. No <laughs> way. But, but whereas the, the other person is someone who is a hardcore hustler, small business entrepreneur who, you know, basically knows that he's growing a certain amount every year, you know, small amounts and that's success in his industry and big success with high fail rates. But if you look at these two, one being, a, you know, potential of being one day a billionaire and the other a highly successful person in his own right. But one who's thinking about selling things like air globally, if you will, like, you know, that kind of really (laughs) big stuff. And the other one that's like, here's food. I want to serve someone, make sure it's a great experience and ensure they return to be a customer again. You get very diametrically opposed views of your own model of your own thinking of your own world, because they fundamentally do not understand one another and never could. Mm-hmm. But you have the benefit of understanding both of them and the benefit of understanding how their lessons learned have different ways in which they affect what you're doing now. Um, and, and so, again, like, you know, my lawyer, I would consider my inner circle, my lawyer, other than my wife and my business partner, probably knows more about me than my parents, uh, <laughs> my best friends, um, because, again, like, it's just you know how this is, man. I mean, at the end yeah. of the day, there's just some things that are, are, are things you cannot talk about or things that you need such a deep yeah. level of insight about after many years that it would be impossible to sort of regurgitate it. Also, people would understand what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, I think that it all came down for me about finding people, first and foremost, that I really believed I could trust, that I genuinely enjoy being around, that I genuinely enjoy learning from. Uh, and that I could do everything from having a beer to sitting down for a webinar. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a dynamic relationship. Uh, and it's something that it's two way because here's the other thing. While the quote unquote future billionaire might be, you know, hugely successful, I'm the first one he comes to on two or three matters privately, even though he's probably got more access to the world than I could ever have. Right. 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 Uh, Same thing with the the hustler, small business owner. Right. Like looking at what I've been able to do has helped him realize how to diversify his interests to ensure he's not just looking at brick and mortar style hospitality locations Mm -hmm. to ensure that he sees revenue models that he couldn't possibly uh, have have looked at or understood, you know, three, five years ago. Yeah. So there's there's a give and take there, uh, but it's not meant to be give and take. It just is natural, you know. Right. And I think, you know, it's, it goes back to a little bit of your earlier point is I think, and one of the things I've always enjoyed about you is just a, a, you do have that curiosity of like, I, I'm just curious, like, tell me, right? Like, and I think that's, that comes out in a very earnest way that I think helps, helps you not be that guy, right? Like you are the guy who basically is curious and authentic good things happen as a, as a result of that. Um, yep, I appreciate that. Yeah. So I want to, I want to kind of wrap on one question that I have a quick rapid fire round, but I do want to talk about, um, you know, another New Yorker who you sort of came up in the game with is, uh, is sort of exploded in the last couple of years, Gary Vaynerchuk, who you've interviewed, you've had uh, time to know. Um, I think one of the things interesting is, you know, he's sort of had this explosion and uh, many people sort of see him as like, I want to be like Gary. 
What do you sort of tell to those folks that it, through the framework of the super connector about what people don't see about Gary? Because I think people see this, you know, this guy and sort of always spouting advice. But I think in some of your interviews, you, you sort of reveal a different kind of uh, Gary as that that sort of interesting um, super connector. What, what would you sort of say about him and, and your knowledge and experience with him growing up in the game? Yeah, so I'll, I'll make the answer a bit broader because people like Gary. Yeah. Um, if they are authentically successful, and again, there's more than enough idiots out there that are spouting crap that <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't even have a right to a podium. Yeah. Um, but what I've learned is, look, if you are truly successful, like Gary doesn't need your money, yeah. and you being the listener listening right now, mm-hmm. um, he genuinely is trying to build a tribe of people that he can provide value to. Mm-hmm. But you, you don't do that unless you are incredibly successful, and the stuff you don't see is what he actually is about. Um you know, he's from an immigrant family. He's a hardworking guy, probably the, you know, in the, in the times I've met with him, um, one of the hardest working guys I've ever witnessed in my life. Um, can't fathom how he gets it all in a day. I wonder the um, same question too all the time. Like, man, crazy. It's insane. Amazing. It's insane. But that's yeah. how he's wired. Yep. Um, he puts in the time. And again, I think that there's this idea that people think like, oh, Gary's so huge now. Yeah, this guy's been at it for 15 years. Right. You right. know, like I, I think, again, just because of how much you know, now a lot of people are coming in on the tail because the zealots were there all along. And finally, the zealots and the refers of the zealots then brought the explosion of people around him. Um, but the reality is, is he's been at this for almost two decades. You know what I mean? Like this guy is incredibly successful, but it was a slog. And he'd be the first person to tell you that. Yeah. Um, you know, I still remember when he was at the small co-working space in Sunshine Suites on the uh, Lower East Side. Um, it was him and seven people, eight people, <laughs> you know, when they were getting Vayner Media up and running. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so, but, but that's the side I think, you know, he tries to talk about, but in the context and framework, obviously, of, you know, look, he is a huge success now. Yeah. Um, so, so my advice to people, you know, in, in people like Gary is educate yourself as much as you can based on a, a whole lot of great people. You shouldn't want to be one person ever, except yourself. I think that there is this misconception that you think you're going to be the next Richard Branson. You're going to be the next Gary Vaynerchuk. But because I say people say that because they don't know what the next version of them is. Mm. Um, I think more people are confused about their futures than admit. And so they grasp onto things that they feel they can hold on to, that feel solid. That's like, that's what I want to do. But is that's what you want to do, meaning you want to own a media agency? I think Gary would be the first one probably to tell you, no, you don't. <laughs> um, you know, is the, is that mean you want to be an author? Do you want to be uh, somebody who's a brand steward, an investor? You know, you're not, you're not being truthful with yourself. So you're using yeah. the identities of others and the success of others to draw and beware of that because mm-hmm. again, you're seeing the part that Gary gets to do because yeah. he did the last 20 years of eating all the other stuff to get there. That's yeah. right. And so, you know, great. Congratulations. I can put a camera around you every single day for the next three weeks. You're not going to come close to vlogging at the level that Gary does. I could yeah. give you a client. Okay. But you'd have to work really hard for that client to renew or to give you 10 <laughs> other clients or 50 other clients. Cause guess what? Most media companies fail. Yeah. So, so I think that my, my, like I said, my best advice is whether it's Gary or anybody else, take from things and people to, to broaden your horizons, to open your mind, to have tough conversations with yourself, to, to play devil's advocate with your uh, deepest held belief, to be contrarian against the mainstream. All those things are great, but don't try to be somebody 
accept yourself. Don't try to aspire to someone's position. You'll fail. If you don't know yourself, others can't know you. If others can't know you, relationships can't be formed. Relationships can't be formed. It's a lonely, very, very miserable lifestyle being mediocre. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, and it goes back to something you said earlier is I think the more you can find out what circles you want to be part of, who you want to be, it, it is a, it is a really, it's a thing. And I think today in a world where we don't uh, get specific about our goals and about our ta- targets, our aspirations, it can be, we can chase things that aren't their ghosts, right? There's no such thing as exactly right. Exactly right. Um, uh, wise, wise wisdom, my friend. I love it. I love it. Um, well, man, this is awesome. Um, good, good, good luck on the rest of the book. I think it's, it is a, what I love about it. And I, and I, I'm, I'm glad that question resonated because I do think that it's interesting to see your evolution. I think the book is right. Like never get a real job, but I think in some ways what it's about is sort of never have to beg for a job. Maybe is in some ways what this new is about is if you have a network, you don't have to, you can have these connections, that can be authentic, real. And so I think there's some real power and the growth, the insight. And I think you're one of those guys that um, never needs to ask for a favor because people will volunteer to give it, which I think is a great place to be. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that. Thank you, my friend. This has been awesome. And uh, next time I'm up in New York, I'll come, I'll come help you change those diapers. I'm getting really good at it myself. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs>